0: In Sound City, we're going to transition into the time of learning from God's Word, and I'm excited because Pastor Aaron was gone for like the last two weeks, and he's itching to come back, literally itching so much he shaved off his mustache. So let's welcome Pastor Aaron, but before we do, I'm going to ask Heather to read from the book of Proverbs.
1: Good morning. This is God's Word from the book of Proverbs, chapter 10. When words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And from chapter 12, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And from chapter 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Amen. Thanks, Heather. Hey, good morning, church family. You guys doing all right? It's good to see you. Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. Aaron. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Yes, I have been gone for a few weeks. And uh, uh, yes, I look a little bit different today. Uh, I'm wearing a tie clip. And uh, I missed you guys. I I will say this. I've been... uh, Blessed to have other friends uh, come in and, and do guest preaching. Dimitri Spotterell from Tacoma a couple of weeks ago. Javon Washington from Rainier Valley last week. And texting with both of those men, and they just said how incredibly welcoming and loving and gracious you all were. So thank you for at least acting that way for the last couple of weeks while I was gone. But no, sincerely, you guys are just such a, uh, an encouraging bunch, and. Uh, similar to me, like even just being away for two Sundays, I find myself just missing you guys. So I'm really grateful to be back, really glad to uh, be with you all today. And if you are just joining us, we're spending a few weeks here in the summer going through the book of Proverbs. We're not going through the totality of the book of Proverbs, but kind of selections from the book of Proverbs. And uh, you can't go through the book of Proverbs without taking some time to address the subject of our speech and our words And let me just say by way of kind of pre-introduction, I'll get to the real introduction in a minute, but the pre-introduction, I haven't preached in a few weeks, so you guys are going to get pre-post-introduction, three, six, seven conclusions, it's going to be a lot, so buckle up. But no, I'm I'm struck anew today by the weight of what I and what we are about to do. All week long, we have spoken words and we have heard words spoken. Spoken. And I'm feeling this weight of maybe today you're coming in and there are words that you said that you really regret and you wish you could take back. Or maybe there were words that were spoken to you or about you that have burdened your soul and caused harm and pain and fear in your heart. Maybe you just spent all week long listening to the words of other people and not very much time listening to the word of God. And I've got a few minutes here to point your attention to the word of God. It's just a weighty thing. I'm feeling the weight of what I'm about to do and what we together are about to do in in opening our hearts to hear from God and his word. And I've said it before, but it just, the the truth of it has settled into my heart in a new way this week. There is nothing that I can say in these next 30 minutes that will actually change your life in the eternal perspective. If God doesn't show up with his Holy Spirit to, to work through my words and to work in your hearts and minds. You don't need the words of Aaron Gray. You need the words of the the God who spoke the the universe into creation. And so I wonder if you would just go with me in prayer right now as we attempt to do the impossible, which is impossible on our own, but with God, all things are possible. Will you pray with me? God, we give this time to you. God, I, I thank you that you speak words of creation and you speak words of new creation into our hearts and into our minds. For myself, God, I pray that you would help me Uh, to communicate only that which is truthful and helpful and will build us up in the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus. And for each and every single one of us, would you give us soft and receptive and, and teachable hearts that we might receive your word of truth. We pray this all in the good name of our Savior, Jesus. And everyone said, amen. So communicating, talking, speaking. You don't really realize how important it is until it 's taken away from you it 's one of those things that we might could take for granted i was talking to a pastor in Florida. He and his wife, just two weeks ago, uh, adopted two young children, which is a beautiful thing. They adopted two children from haiti and it 's this wonderful, beautiful, redemptive thing there 's one significant challenge: neither of these children speak english they 're around i think they 're six and four somewhere about that age, and they speak Haitian Creole, a little bit of French. And these people from Florida don't speak either of those. And so, uh, by God's grace, there's someone in the church who actually does speak Haitian Creole, who's been helping provide some translation. And just think about, like, something as simple as talking <clears throat> to your children— It should be simple. But something as simple as talking to your children, all of a sudden you don't have the ability to. It also makes me think of a story that my grandma has told for years. My grandma, the story will be so much funnier if you knew my grandma, my mom's mom. She's a very uh, proper sort of a person. She doesn't want to have the center of attention on her. She doesn't want to get into awkward situations. But she tells a story about one time when she was in Mexico on a trip with her sister. And they went to a roadside fruit stand. And my grandmother picked out some fruit, some oranges, a basket of fruit, and went up to the guy who was selling the fruit and said in Spanish what she thought was, "'Hi, I would like to buy these oranges.'" And the vendor smirked, and then he started chuckling, and then he started laughing. Then he started belly laughing, and he grabbed his side, fell off of his chair onto the ground, rolling around in a fit of hysterical laughter— at which point, my very proper grandmother set the fruit down and walked off. And to this day, she has no idea what she said. <laughs> our words, we use them for everything. We communicate, we, we talk, we listen. And, and it shouldn't surprise us that, that our words have great power. In fact... The big idea today is, is not something I wrote. It comes right from the book of Proverbs. The big idea today is that from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. The, the easy part of this verse to understand is the idea that death and life are in the power of the tongue. We have incredible potency with the things that we say. We can either speak things that will build others up or will tear others down. Some of this other language about uh, being satisfied by the fruit of your mouth, maybe the meaning isn't quite as readily apparent, but it's it's something like, when we can really say what we mean, that's a satisfying feeling, is it not? Let let me give you an example. This is not the most godly example, but somebody ever, you know, kind of said something rude to you or whatever, and then you just have like the, Perfect zinger of a comeback. And you're like, yeah, I did it. That feeling of satisfaction. Like when your words really work, it's like, yeah, that's really satisfying. Even for me sometimes as a preacher, there's times where I, I, I preach and I get done like, ah, oh, that wasn't what I really wanted to say. And there's other times I'm, yeah, it was so satisfying to be able to really communicate. Or sometimes you, you sit and you have a conversation with a friend and it's like, you get done with that conversation. It's like, yeah, what a rich and satisfying conversation. It's something like that. But the real, the big idea, is this, this death and life are in the power of the tongue. And actually, let me just say a quick caveat, because maybe some of you, like me, were raised in a church context where you, you heard this verse taken and, and stretched to mean something that it doesn't mean. One time I remember being, it was younger, and I was at a church, and uh, this lady walked up to me, sweet lady, and she said, you know, hey, Aaron, how are you doing this week? And I said, well, you know, I'm... I'm a little bit under the weather. I'm fighting a cold, but I'm I'm doing all right. I'm a little bit sick. And she goes, well, you need to stop speaking that negativity out. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And you need to stop speaking that sickness and start speaking wellness over yourself. And I just, my first reaction was, well, great. Now I feel sick and discouraged. Like, thanks. (laughs) This verse doesn't mean that you should never say anything negative. It doesn't mean that you should like disagree with the nature of reality. Jesus said, my soul is sorrowful unto the point of death to his disciples. The apostle Paul said things like, "You know, I was so discouraged that I despaired of life itself. The, the point of this passage is our words have power. And you know why our words have power? Because we are created in the image and likeness of God. If if you go to the very first pages of this book, pretend like you're, you're just reading this book and you're getting to know, you know the characters of the book and you come across this God, this, this one who created the heavens and the earth, you don't even get three sentences in when you start seeing this phrase, and God said, and God said, and God said, and he's creating the universe by the word of his power. The psalm, Psalm 33, says that he spoke and the earth was commanded into existence. The author of Hebrews tells us that we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that everything that we see, everything that is visible, came from that which is invisible. The word of God is so powerful that it creates the universe. This last week, my family and I, we were camping over in eastern Washington And at night, it's not a lot of lights out there and you could just see the stars. And and every night, actually the first one to come out was not a star, but it was Jupiter, followed shortly by Saturn, these big planets. I've been a fan of Jupiter for a long time. It's my second favorite planet after Earth, because I live here and it's, I'm fond of it, but just big and beautiful, and then like you could see like the Milky Way and the, the nebulas and all the just the, just incredible display of God's creative power. And the Bible says that that comes from His speech and from His word. And the Bible tells us that as human beings, we're created in the image and in the likeness of God and that we were created for relationship. Isaiah, the the prophet in chapter 45, tells us that God didn't create the world to be empty. He made it to be filled, to be inhabited. And if you read in Genesis chapter three and in the first part of verse eight, there's this line that says that, that God came to walk with the man and the woman in the cool part of the day. And friends, let me just tell you, neither I nor any theologian who's ever studied that verse really fully understand what that means. But I do know this, it must have been awesome for mankind to enjoy face-to-face relationship with the loving, gracious, powerful creator of the universe. And that there were words that were spoken, and we were created in the image and likeness of God to have relationship through communicating and through words with God. But then you, you get just three chapters into the story and you see this, this serpent, this adversary who shows up. And what does the serpent say? What does the deceiver say? There's there's deceptive words the serpent actually questions the words of God, uses words to deceive and to distract and to pull the the man and the woman away from relationship with God. What does he say? He said, did God really say and that these words of deception have entered in. And because of these words of deception being internalized and believed and put into action, now we experience the harmful side of words really throughout all of human history. You could you could categorize much of the, the brokenness and the death that we experience as a war of words. Genesis 3, it says that the man and the, and the woman, they hid from the presence of God. And in Proverbs 18, we already read the, the death and life are in the power of the tongue. And, and, and that word death shouldn't be there if it were not for the believing of words of deception from the enemy. Our words are powerful. Can I, can I get an amen from anybody on this here this morning? And so what I want to do is I want to go through a lot of verses from the book of Proverbs Because if you read Proverbs, you will notice that there are a lot of different warnings about how we use our words. Myung was saying like, oh, it's so good to have Pastor Aaron back. I'd like to go real negative for the next 20 minutes so that you cool your jets just a little bit. Okay. I want to take you through seven different types of words that the book of Proverbs warns us about, corrects us about. And so as we go through, some or others may relate to you, but don't worry, we'll get to you eventually. Okay. So buckle up. Let's do this. You've been out for two weeks. Let's go. And I'll start with one that's personal to me: unrestrained words. I put this one first so that we could deal with it first, and then I could move on to stuff about you. But Proverbs 10:19 says this: where words are many, transgression is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips is prudent. And by the way. Words are many. That doesn't necessarily just mean the words that you say with your lips. It also means the words that you type on social media. Words in the cloud are still words, okay? Some of you are quieter with your lips, but you have lots to say in other forums. Where words are many, you're pretty sure to find transgression. Proverbs 17:27 Whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And then Proverbs 29:30, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? And we'll just include the ladies in there too. There is more hope for a fool than for him. And if you know the book of Proverbs, you know that the fool isn't really a hero. Some of you, maybe kind of like me, have got a pretty quick mind and thinking and too quick of a tongue. One of the ways that we sin, we don't exercise wisdom with our words, we participate in the the words bringing death is by being hasty and quick. Just always saying what we have to say or always saying what we feel like we need to say. In certain parts of American culture, that's even looked at as a virtue you hear people say, oh, they're just a straight shooter. They just say what comes around. I've heard people say this. I just tell it like it is. I just, say, I just say how I feel. According to the word of God, that's not necessarily a good thing. Amen? So unrestrained words, no restraint whatsoever. Number two, a close related cousin is angry words. For Proverbs 12, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. You ever experienced that? Just some heat? Just like like being stabbed with a knife. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Okay, it's confession time. How many times... (laughs) When someone comes at you with some harsh words, are you like, boy, I'm just so excited to return with soft words, right? Anybody ever like, oh, bring it on, let's go. Like, and we escalate too, right? This escalation is such a, a, a common thing in the fallen human condition. You bring, you know, a, a fly swatter, I come back with a knife, you come back with a bazooka and before we know it, it's World War Three. A harsh word stirs up anger. You don't diminish anger by fighting fire with fire. You actually bring more. And then whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. You want to exalt foolishness? Let's make foolish. I mean, Think about that language of exalting, like lifting it up, like making everyone look at it, putting it forward as something great. This is foolishness. Let's all look at this. And anger is underneath a lot of that. Number three, can I keep going? I'm only two in. I got seven. Yeah, thanks, Pam. Appreciate it. Pam says bring it on, so we're going. Number three is deceptive words. This one's interesting. Look at in Proverbs 16. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. It's one of those verses. Is it six or is it seven? Yes. And it's a, it's a Hebrew poetry way of saying like, this is really emphasizing. And that word hates is a strong word. This is more than just displeasing. This is something God hates. So here they are. This could be a whole sermon, but let's focus on the one that's doubly repeated. Haughty or or prideful eyes, like looking down on people. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and the one who sows discord among the brothers. Which one gets double mention? Lying. Lying. God is truth. And in him there is no lying or deception at all. Amen? The the Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. And so when we lie, we are not living out our image-bearing, God-created nature as human beings. We are going right back to Genesis 3. We're being children of the deceiver. And Proverbs 26 says that a, a lying tongue actually hates its victims and a flattering mouth works ruins. So it's not just yourself that you're harming, it's the people that you're lying to. And for those of you who are grownups and you're like, well, I don't really like lie. You know, it's it's not like with maybe a kid when you go to the kid, like, did you eat the cookie from the cookie jar? And they go, no. And it's just like a, a plain lie. We do something that's far more nuanced and subtle, but every single bit as deceptive. We bend the narrative and we bend reality to make ourselves be put in the best possible light and to make other people be put in a worse light. You guys know what I'm talking about? I say partial truths, right? Say partial reality, and I, and I say things that, maybe it's not an outright lie, maybe it wouldn't get flagged on a polygraph test, but in the heart of the heart of your heart, you know that you are not being fully truthful, or transparent, or open before the eyes of God who sees all, or maybe even before other brothers and sisters in your life who want to love you, want to care for you, want to walk with you, and sometimes in church culture, this actually gets elevated, and we say, things oh, how are you doing? is like, well, I'm just blessed. I, you know, I'm too blessed to be stressed. I'm walking in total victory, you know, just loving and life. And it's like, no, actually, really what's going on behind the scenes is things are falling apart and you're being deceptive. You haven't told somebody that you stayed up till three o'clock in the morning crying because of the stress of the things going on in your life. You haven't told someone that you are struggling with ongoing, habitual, repetitive sin that no matter how hard you try, you can't break free from it. You're lying. It's deceptive. Number four, speaking of flattering mouth, flattery. This is an interesting one. This is one I don't think we maybe think about or talk about enough. Whoever, it says in 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man afterward will find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. Like, hey, be, be truthful. Don't flatter. And in Proverbs 29 says, a man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. Flattery is like a, like a trap that trips everybody up. What an interesting thought. So flattery. Flattery can sometimes look like encouragement. Oh, you're so this, you're so good, you're so whatever. But the thing about flattery is it's not true encouragement because it doesn't have the well-being of the other person at its core. It wants something. Flattery builds you up in order to take. Flattery says, oh, I'm gonna lift you up and then by lifting you up with my words, I'm gonna hitch my wagon to you and that will also lift me up. Flattery. What I just I don't know what all even else to say about that other than the scriptures warn us against it, and I think it's one of those ones that sneaks in and it sometimes disguises itself as encouragement. Another one is gossip. Gossip. Proverbs 16, 28. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Isn't that a great uh, analogy? Isn't that a great, you know, uh, saying for what gossip? A whisperer. Hey, psst, hey I, like, keep your voice down, but did you know that so-and-so and so-and-so and this thing, and voice quiet? Why? Why is it not fully in the light? Why is it, why is it whispering? The heart of gossip, it's, it's similar to flattery in that it feels so good to just like, have the insider information. It's not really about loving or caring for the other person. It's about making myself feel good. Like in Proverbs 26, 22, where it says, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels and they go down into the inner parts of the body. Yesterday, I've got my, my parents in town visiting from Alaska. And uh, yesterday, we had a, a birthday dinner for me. My birthday was a couple weeks ago. I'm still accepting late presents. If you want to jump on that, that's fine. But this was kind of our chance as a family to celebrate my birthday together. And I cooked a tri-tip on the smoker. And my wife made like bacon-wrapped jalapeno poppers. And my mom made these like fried potato cake thing. Like literally everything was like perfection. It was delicious morsels going down to the inner parts of my body. And at one point I'm like telling my mouth, stop eating your ribs hurt. Like stop it. It was, it was so good, but that's what it's like with gossip. It feels so good to have some insight or some inside information. It's this, you guys know that feeling, be honest, you're in church. You know, that feeling like, Oh, just tastes so good. Number six: hasty promises. This is a cousin to the unrestrained words, but it specifically has to do with letting your yes be yes and your no be no. It is a snare to say rashly, from Proverbs 2025, 20, "It is holy and to reflect only after making vows. Make a promise to someone you didn't think about it before you made the promise. You only thought about it afterwards. Or if I can borrow from Ecclesiastes, Pastor Javon preached from Ecclesiastes last week, so it's allowable in the Proverbs series, I guess. But it says in Ecclesiastes 5, when you vow a vow to God, don't delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. Like, you're gonna make a promise, do it. It is better that you should not vow then you should vow and not pay. So, so saying like, yeah, make promises, but think about it first. Consider your commitments. Don't let your, your, your mouth write some sort of a check that you have no intention of being able to cash and fulfill. Some of you break trust with people. Some of you bring great harm because you promised something before you thought about it. And then number seven, seductive words. There's a, there's a really interesting section. If you want to do something uh, like really fun this weekend, uh, go read Proverbs 7, 8, and 9 altogether. This is literally one of the top five things I would choose to do for fun in my spare time. Go read Proverbs 7, 8, and 9 because in 7, 8, and 9, it puts forward these two pictures of two women. There's Lady Wisdom and Lady Folly. And it uses these two women almost as like, like pictures or examples of when wisdom is calling out to us. Here's what wisdom says to do. And here's what the voice of wisdom sounds like. And here's this foolish woman. And here's what she's calling out to do. And uh, next week, we're going to finish with the Proverbs 31 woman who's kind of the peak and picture of wisdom. You know, ladies morning at Sound City next week. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But there's this, this moment where it says of Lady Folly, with much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast until an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Friends, our culture, we live in a culture that worships the God of sexuality. Uh, Aphrodite is alive and well in 21st century Western culture. So much so to the point, I cannot go to a store to buy a pack of gum without reading about some celebrity's sexual escapades or whatever on the, on the grocery store magazine aisle. I can't turn on the TV and be advertised a car without sexuality being just uh, on full display there. Friends, hear me loud and clear. And we've talked about this in recent weeks and months that, that sexuality is a good and a beautiful gift from God to be enjoyed and to be stewarded between uh, the covenant a uh, marriage between a husband and a wife. But the thing about sexuality is, boy, does it make big promises makes big, big promises. This will be what will satisfy you. This is what will be the thing that will finally make you feel complete and happy and whole. And I will say, even though this passage is addressed like to a young man, women, you are not exempt from this as well. In a culture that idolizes sexuality, you're told messages that if you'll just embrace the... the the, the uh, overt display of your sexuality, that's where you will find respect, acceptance, love, whatever it is that the human heart is looking for. And friends, I'm telling you, seductive words have brought down more people than maybe any of the other ones on this list. So it's a good gift from God, but it's a potent gift. Like, like, like fire is a good thing when it's in the fireplace. It's a terrible thing when it's in your living room couch. All right, did I get everybody? Have I. anybody feeling left out? I'll find some more verses real quick. But actually, I'm not done yet. I want to take us one step lower because here's the thing it'd be really easy for me to go into kind of a place of moralism that says, wow, look at all these bad ways we use our words. Friends, let's try to do better this week. Watch your tongue. Let's pray. Amen. Go with God. (laughs) Like anybody ever tried? Anybody ever tried to control your speech? Anybody ever had, okay, anybody ever had like a blow up, like a fight and you had like maybe three or four of these categories of sinful words all in one conversation and then you go home and you feel like garbage and you pray and you say, I'm never gonna do that again. Anybody ever done that? How'd that work for you? Does just trying harder to do better with your lips. Like we could form, like shut down all the community groups. We're just going to start like lip accountability groups where you meet together and you've got your, your speech accountability partner. We're going to just, I will only say nice things. I will only say nice things. I will only build people up in love. I will only honor and glorify God. You're not going to make it through that meeting. Because friends, the problem isn't really at its core our lips and our speech. The problem, the root of the problem is our sinful human hearts. Jesus himself says in the gospel of Matthew that it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. This morning, I asked one of my daughters, one of my younger daughters, to fill my water bottle up for me. And I don't know what she did, but there was not one, I mean, it was like to the top. And I opened it and I dumped water all over myself and went there. I wasn't even trying. I just barely bumped it. And that's what spilled out. Friends, you are like a cup that is filled to the brim with something. And when you get bumped, what spills out of you is what's in your heart. Proverbs 4, authoritative than I meant it to be. Sorry. (laughs) Wasn't trying to underscore a point there or anything. I just didn't realize how close my water bottle was to the podium. The book of Proverbs says that you need to watch your heart, guard your heart with all vigilance because from it flow the wellsprings of life. And as the prophet Jeremiah said famously, the human heart is deceptively wicked and evil who can understand it and friends i'm concerned that maybe you'd be tempted to make the excuse like me like well i didn't really mean to say what i said it was just a stressful situation i didn't mean to say i didn't i didn't mean what i said um you did if the words that you speak are an overflow of the heart, I think that what happens when we get bumped is actually what we truly mean before we have the opportunity to get ourselves fancied up and cleaned up and put forward the right-sounding words. And C.S. Lewis agrees with me. So, C.S. Lewis says, (laughs) surely what a man does when he's taken off guard is the best evidence for what sort of a man he is. Surely, what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise, is the truth. If there are rats in the cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I am. Friends, the problem at its core isn't even your lips. The problem at its core is your heart, which is why the gospel of Jesus is such good news. John chapter one tells us that in the beginning, oh, this is, this is creation language. Like we're back at Genesis one. In the beginning, God spoke words of creation at the beginning of John. In the beginning, God's about to speak words of new creation. There's this word and the word was with God and the word was God. In some supernatural way that we can't fully understand, the word is is unified with God but also distinct from God. And he was in the beginning with God and verse 14 says the word became flesh. And dwelt among us, the, the God who communicates, the God who speaks, the God who relates becomes in the likeness of humanity to come on a rescue mission. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Think about this, that Jesus lived a perfect life. And and sometimes when I say that, at least for me, I think about not, you know, sinning in, in specific ways, like not stealing or not, you know, punching somebody or something like that. But think about the fact that when we say Jesus lived a perfect life, he never sinned with his speech. No deceit was found in his mouth. No flattery, no gossip. He never gave place to seductive speech, Jesus and words as the word of God. He did perfectly what you and I have all failed to do. And because of that, he goes to the cross, a sacrifice in our place for our sins. And if, if you or I were nailed to the cross, uh, being mocked and being maligned by those who walk by, at least for myself, I know that I would want to return their mockery with more mockery. I would want to return their anger with more anger. But do you know what Jesus cried out from the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they are doing, that in the moment of the greatest injustice, the words that come out of Jesus are life giving and full of mercy and grace and truth. And Jesus died in our place for the, for the sinful words that we've all spoken. But on the third day, guess what? He rose victorious, conquering over sin, conquering over death, and he walked out to his disciples. And you know what he said? He said, I told you. <laughs> I told you this is what was going to happen. I spoke this to you. The prophets spoke this to you. I told you that I would rise. Now, I give you the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, and I want you to go into all the world and speak the words of the gospel, speak the words of my death and my resurrection to all the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even far-flung remote places like Linwood, Washington. How good is the gospel? How good is the good news that we have all heard with our ears and those words have actually brought life and salvation to the very depths of our soul? And so we're instructed to pay attention to Jesus. The the author of Hebrews, if you were around when we did the the sermon series on the the book of Hebrews, he, he starts With this amazing line that I love, he says, long ago, and in many ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets, but now in these last days, in these end times, he's spoken to us through his son. And then the author of Hebrews goes into this thing about angels, and and then he comes back around at the beginning of chapter two, he says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. Friends, we've not just heard an instruction about how to be good with our with our words. We have heard the very word himself. How many of you know it's far too easy to be distracted from the word of life? How many of you know it's far too easy to spend your whole week listening to the words of all sorts of other people, all sorts of other sources, and not necessarily even bad stuff, but just over and above listening to the voice of God himself? I remember one time a few years ago when I first discovered like theology and commentaries, I was hooked and I, people were giving me books. I was reading every single book that I could get my hands on and learning all sorts of stuff. And I just remember one day during a time of prayer, I felt like God spoke to my heart and said, boy, you are reading a lot more about my word than you are just reading my word. And I was convicted and I love commentaries. I just quoted C.S. Lewis for crying out loud. I'm still going to read other books. But you guys, we have been given the very words of God through the scriptures and Jesus himself has come to us. And so we're instructed to pay much closer attention. And we're instructed not only to pay attention to what he has spoken because of the life that he's given to us, but we're instructed to go share this word. In the book of Colossians, the apostle Paul says we need to walk in wisdom. Hey, wisdom, like like Proverbs. Toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, and then he says, you're going to need to let your speech be gracious, like seasoned with salt, something that actually tastes good. You ever had unsalted cheese? It is an abomination. If, Jesus, if God was going to add an eighth thing to that list in Proverbs that he hates, I think unsalted cheese would be one. Like, it is, it is horrible. You heard it here first. Hot take, okay? We put salt into food, like it's seasoned to make it Taste good friends, is your speech towards outsiders seasoned with salt and full of grace, and, and you're 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 looking for opportunities, making the best use of the time to tell people that God loves them and Christ died for them. So let me conclude, let me actually conclude real life conclusions with this. I want to encourage you this week to think about what you say. I want you to think about what you say. Are, are my words showing restraint? For some of you, there's too much restraint and you actually need to learn how to speak up. For many of us, there's probably a lack of restraint. Are, are your words that, that you're saying, are they glorifying to God? Would they, do, they, do they make God's heart pleased? Do they build up those around you? Do they build up you? Do you share the gospel with those in your life? So yes, I want you to think about what you say. I also, number two, want you to think about what you hear. Because it's not just the words that you say, it's the words that you hear, like we saw with the seductive speech. Let me, let me just say this. Um, like the music you listen to, or the podcast you listen to, or the news programs you watch, I'm not saying don't watch those things or don't listen to those things. I am saying think, turn your brain on. You guys, you could pray for my children they cannot make it through a song without either myself or my wife interrupting and preaching a sermon. And actually, it's mostly her. She does it more than I do. And the kid's like, can we please just listen to the song? And my wife's like, not until we have dissected what is being preached at you through this song. And they're like, we just want to push play on the cartoon. Like, no, we're going to analyze the dysfunctional relationship patterns that these cartoon characters are operating in. And while I mock it, I actually love it because there's something about us in an inter. Entertainment soaked culture where it's like either do it or don't do it. No, I'm saying think and engage and analyze. Pay attention to what you're hearing. Pay attention to what you're feeding. But the number three, most importantly, pay more attention to the word himself. Friends, as we spend time with Jesus, he more and more transforms our hearts. And he fills us up with his grace and he fills us up with his Holy Spirit so that in those moments where we get bumped, what starts to come out of us actually starts to sound and look more like Jesus. So yes, pay attention to what you say. Walk in step with the Spirit. But honestly, you're going to get way more bang for your buck by just spending time reading the word and by spending time praying and by spending time meditating on who Jesus is rather than with some white knuckles, I'm going to be better with my speech this week. Spend time with Jesus and see if he doesn't start to just transform you from the inside out. In a moment, we're gonna to go to the Lord's table. We're gonna eat and we're gonna drink of the bread and the cup and we're going to meditate and reflect on the, the death of Jesus and his, his resurrection in our place and, and, and Pastor Doug's gonna come and lead us in that and the, the band are gonna lead in, in singing. This is an opportunity for us to just go before God. Say, forgive me for my sinful speech. Change me from the inside out that my heart might overflow with speech that gives honor to my God. Jesus, we come to you now in prayer thankful that you speak words of life into dead places. You speak words of grace where we have fallen and failed so many times. You speak words of invitation. Come to the table. Come to me, all you who are weary. When we have ran far away. Invite us now to the table, we pray. Meet with us at the table. And in song, Lord God, may we lift our voices and use our words to honor you and give you glory. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Thank you,
0: Pastor Aaron. I said it in the first service, but I really count ourselves so fortunate to um, have people here to preach the word to us that are very faithful to it, and I believe God's Spirit speaks in this church, and uh, I just come with a thankful heart. So, if now, if you want to go ahead and take out and open the bread and the juice, um, we're going to transition into communion. If you didn't get one, like Vicky can get one right there. Um, we've got a few more here for you, or there's some at the at the entrances. Um, in communion, we remember that God reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians, where Paul speaks to us about communion. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And so eat of the bread. And drink of the cup. So Paul tells us to. Not take communion in an unworthy manner. Without remembering. Without examining ourselves. I don't know about you guys. But lately I've I've been thinking about. How easy it is to take things for granted. We have the. Favor from God to live in a country that gives us many freedoms. And it's so easy to take it for granted. So easy to take for granted those who love and serve us. Your spouse, your children. Um, Sometimes I I feel like I fall into the trap um, that I even sometimes take Jesus' sacrifice for granted. Um, The sacrifice that he did for me. The sacrifice that he did for all of us. Pastor Aaron taught on wisdom and words, so I thought maybe it would be a good idea for us to be reminded of Jesus' last words on the cross. The Bible astounds me at how it can speak to each one of us. It is the power of God. It is God's word. It's not just this piece of paper, this book, but it's actually God's words, and so In these last seven statements that Jesus spoke on the cross, maybe there's one that will speak to you specifically. Maybe you can meditate on that, reflect on that. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the only time in all eternity that Jesus experienced separation from God as the sins of the world, my sin, your sin, were placed on him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. This one just amazes me. Jesus' prayer is an expression of his limitless compassion and divine grace. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus assures one of the criminals on the cross and us that when we die, we will be with him. In paradise, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus willingly gives up his soul into the Father's hands. Dear woman, here is your son, and here is your mother. Jesus, ever compassionate, despite his own pain and suffering, I am thirsty. We're reminded of Jesus' humanity. It is finished. Jesus' last words on the cross. His suffering was over. The work his father had given him to do was done. Our our debt of sin was paid. Father, guide each of us now before we take in the bread and juice to reflect, to remember, to never take for granted and to pray as we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.